Anonymous in Houston, Texas on Guadalupe Radio. You're up next. Hello, Anonymous. Hello there. How are you? Great. My question is, um, so if you can briefly explain about the end times, I'm sort of confused. Okay. There's different denominations that teach different things about the end times, specifically what happens after death. That's, that's my main focus. Gotcha. So I, I was told by one of the denominations that after 41 days, their soul goes to heaven. I was like, that's absurd. I never heard yes. about that. You know, it's a, it is amazing, Anonymous, how people come up with some of these things. 41 days. Are you sure it's not 42? It's not a reference <laughs> to Frisbyterianism, is it? It, it might be. So they believe that but when you, you die, you your soul goes on the roof. <laughs> but you and, had then the, yeah. and then there's some denominations that teach that, you know, as soon as uh, we perish, our soul goes to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so... Right. Who are we going to see? I mean, we know that sure. that there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anonymous, e- gonna... yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot there, there even if we cut, talk, took out half of that one question. Yeah. So end times and what happens at death. Sure. And Anonymous, I'd recommend you get a hold of a, a CD set I did here at Catholic Answers called Last Call, Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. I, it's about five hours of teaching on this very topic. I think you'll find it fascinating. But the bottom line is, no, there's not a 41-day waiting period when you die. Obviously, that is not biblical. There's nothing in the tradition about that. Um, However, what we do know is that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, sacred scripture tells us it's appointed for each man once to die and then the judgment. We know that all of us are going to die. Very few exceptions. Of course, those who are alive when Jesus comes, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 1 Corinthians 15.51, those who are alive when Jesus comes will never die. But other than that, everyone is going to die. So uh, most likely, everyone listening to my voice right now is going to die. All right. Uh, And when we die, according to Hebrews 9.27, we have what's called the particular judgment. We will immediately be judged. And not only do we know that from Hebrews 9.27, but also when Jesus teaches on the afterlife in Luke chapter 16, you, you might remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man. They both die, and they immediately go to a judgment. And we know that. Why? Because Lazarus goes to a paradise and the rich man goes to a place of torment. So there was a judgment that occurred immediately while there were people still living on earth because they talk about people still being alive on the earth. So we have an immediate, what's called a particular judgment, and we are judged by God. Ultimately, you have one of two destinations if you have reached the age of accountability, either heaven or hell. Purgatory is described for us in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, and in that vision of God, we will see all things so clearly. We will see the entire plan of God. We'll know how all things work together for good according to those who love God, as Romans 8, 28 says, my friend. And that's just scratching the surface. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, that sounds like a pile of something because none of us know Oh, this week, y'all, Megan and I break down some stuff on death, whiteness, gender. Come on, this profane faith. 
He said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Well, welcome back, folks. Welcome back. This your boy, Dan White Hodge, here again, once again, in the place to be profane faith well uh i am back yes after a couple weeks of uh, funeral stuff and family stuff um here i am back so i told you i wasn't going anywhere i just needed a little time to get that straight and then um of course you know i am an educator and um uh the finals has been taking place and so um you know that that tends to take up a, a lot of time i always call it holy week the last two semesters of the or last two weeks of the semester um is when you know students get holy and like oh professor you're the best and oh professor you know you're the best professor i ever had in the whole wide world uh can you excuse the last uh three weeks of my absences <laughs> you know stuff like that so dealing with that and dealing with you know folks that uh you know just i, I get it you know folks and particularly in undergrad well you know and part of it is all of us kind of wait to the last minute to do stuff i mean i feel like sometimes a lot of college students learn really bad habits in college <laughs> you know in terms of just living and life and all of that stuff right because you know, right? We there's a whole bunch of stuff that's crammed. I think the model we have for education is just crazy right now. I would rather see one class every six weeks, right? Uh, I used to use that model back when I first started teaching, um, back when I was at Azusa Pacific, actually teaching in their uh, LA term program, and we would have one class every six weeks. Um, and it was a great model. You saw great results. Students were able to focus on one class, one one portion of material. And actually, the learning curve was much higher. Uh, and it didn't cram in all, you know, you're not trying to cram in four or five classes at one time, right? And so it just, it, you know, it's 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 crazy. I think, you know, in, in terms of education, we're going to have to, you know, change some things up. But um, yeah, that was that. And then, of course, you know, taking in the memorial of my father-in-law, which was actually a great time. It was and if you're interested in seeing more of that, uh, go check out. I have, we created a Facebook page called Celebrate Gordy. Um, I can put the link in the show notes. But if you're you know interested in that, I did live stream the uh, funeral services, the memorial services, and um, a whole bunch of pictures of him and his life, and just really remembering him as as a a man of God and and someone who loved life. And yes, a terrible way to die. At the same time, he's at peace, and we remembered that. And I think, uh, you know, death, which is what we're going to be talking about today, and with my guest, Megan, I'll introduce her in a minute, um, is just a part of life. And, man, the same day we were celebrating his life, uh, I got the news that um, Rachel Held Evans had passed. I tell you, yo, that that one shook me, because, man, I... I just always assumed that I we would meet face to face at some point. 
you know, I think, you know, the, the disruption of death as Megan breaks down here in a little bit. Um, you know, it touches us all. Uh, you know, John Singleton, right? It's like, whoa, this brother wasn't that much older than me. I mean, it's like, damn, I actually had, a, you know, on my list of things to do is like to meet and, and to work with him at some point. I don't know how, but and at this point now, you know, it's impossible. So I'm like, whoa, it doesn't matter who you are. Death visits us all. It, uh, it comes to us irregardless of rich, poor, male, female, non-binary, the whole nine. Um, and it's something that I don't think we have enough understanding of. Um, I mean, in this particular episode, we're talking about death, the physical death of people. I think there's also death of many other things, death of institutions, death of ideas, death of careers, um, death of seasons, certain seasons, the ending of one season, the beginning of another. That's something I know I want to get into. It's something that I know I've been wrestling with in the current season that I'm in right now, but I'm, I'm going to save that uh, that one right there because that, that I need to unpack that one a little bit more. Uh, I feel like I'm transitioning out of a Christian knees evangelical speaking uh, uh, season into something I don't even know about. And there's a death. A lot of doors are being slammed right in, you know, uh, both figuratively and literally uh, right now in my life. And, you know, just mourning a little bit and at the same time wondering what's next. But again, I'll unpack that in a different episode. Um, trust me, it's coming. I'm pretty transparent on this show, so I'll break it down a little bit more. But this episode focusing on the physical death and, you know, as you heard at the beginning, you know, it's like I I get tired of all the answers um, that people put out, right, in terms of well, this is what it's supposed to be and this is what it's supposed to be and this and this and that and this and this and that. I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> and I think that's... I don't think I know that's difficult for us to comprehend because we as humans are intrinsically wired to want to know what's next. And when you don't know, we, it's easy to make up things. Uh, oh, well, it's going to be like this. Oh, well, it's going to be like that. It's like, you know, when you die, you're going to be met with, uh, you know, virgins and whatnot, right? It's like, well, how do you know? Will you be met by the angel? Well, right. But who knows that? Who told you that? And who, who died, you know, took all the notes, took a film, came back and like, all right, this is what's going to happen. And I get it. For some of you, you know, like deep religious, spiritual people, you can say, well, but God can give us visions and all this stuff like that. I get that. Um, but I would still say that I think death is still widely unknown. Um, and, you know, it's it's a trip. It's a trip. And, you know, Rachel, man, that was, whew. I think what gets me particularly about her death is just the vial that's been written uh after that i mean i'm like whoa like okay i get that we don't agree but man even in death you're gonna say crap like that yo that that yeah i i don't have i don't have a big i don't have big i don't have no tolerance for that i don't have no patience for that um, particularly the era that we live in, right? I mean, there's just, there's no sense of, it's like the other side are devils. Um, and I'll be honest, I'll even say that about folks who I, I tend to agree with for the most part. I don't want to demonize a complete person. Now, I do think there's there there are devilish acts. I do think that sometimes people can get blinded by certain things. I think you can reach a level of someone like Trump and just be completely bamboozled into thinking that your way is 
completely in the only way that's right. Um, and the era that we in sees us being pulled um, in binary spaces into our own camps and into into areas that right that 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 really only speak of the ideologies and frameworks that we're used to. Um, and I think that's, you know, those are dangerous times, but I also don't want to, I want to be careful of who I call a devil uh, and who I call a saint. Um, and, you know, I think, yeah, just the stuff that's been written about her. I, I and honestly, I can't even, I, I really can't even get into that. I am. I just, I, I just want, I want to celebrate her life. I mean, cause she touched a lot of people. She helped a lot of people. Um, I'm looking to do an episode on her. I mean, season three just kind of just keeps going, right? I mean, it's it's a, it's going to be a long season. Just there's a lot to to cover, and um, and I yeah, I just think that this is yeah, this is a time to um, this is a time to mourn, celebrate, and I, I think there's the, you know I'm I'm trying to set up a few a few podcasts, you know, particularly Austin Brown who. You know who, who talks about just you know the stuff that you know that Rachel did how how she used that's what I liked about Rachel how she used her privilege as a white person as a white woman um, her platform that was powerful and so I I think that is a great model she carved out a space that many other white folks didn't um and I think that that you know for folks who say well what can I do as a white person that was really a great example of what to do using your space giving up your own platform so that you can better and lift up other people people of color voices that need to be heard um and she didn't marginalize herself she didn't hurt you know like she wasn't like trying to hurt herself and be like oh no i'm white and less than no of course not live into who you are live into your anointing right but also recognize the privilege that has been given to you. And so I really appreciated that about Rachel um, and just mourning. I mean, just, you know, I don't think we have, and Megan talks about this, we don't have a, 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 a well thought out and developed understanding and theology around death and around loss. Um, she's going to give an amazing uh, Henry Nowen quote here in 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 a little bit. Uh, so you got to check that one out. That was that was that one's going to sit you down. That one's going to make you think a little bit. Um, and I don't think we understand what disruption the, the the disruption of death really looks like in in all of our lives. Like we we have paid homage to a celebratory gospel, a celebratory theology, a celebratory ideological structure that gives us comfort in knowing that, quote unquote, this is what happens when you die. Uh, and that's part of what I think you hear uh, in the, you know, at the beginning, the little clip at the beginning um, that I played and that it, it is comforting to know that, right, that this is where we go. This is what happens. Um, but we really don't know. So that's why I'm just like, all right, in this life, let's celebrate what was. Let's celebrate a person's life when that does happen. So, man, that's what I really wanted to spend this episode looking at. That's what I really wanted to spend this episode talking about and grappling with. Um, I think this is just a scratching of the surface um, of dealing with that. And so I wanted to bring my good friend, um, Megan uh, Westra, and she'll explain her last name and everything here um, on. And, you know, because she has an amazing platform as well. I'm going to put all, again, all, all the links in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Check out the show notes there. Um, she is an amazing thinker. She is... Uh, 
on the pastoral staff team at Transformation City Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, she lives in Sherman Park with her husband, Ben, and daughter, Candace, or Cadis. No, K. Cadence. There we go. Sorry. Uh, Megan is pursuing her MDiv at Northern Seminary here in Chicago. And uh, she loves to run, read, uh, run slowly, but uh, with persistence. Uh, and she's unapologetically a coffee snob. But more important than that, Megan has some amazing thoughts on gender and race uh, and what she's reading and womanism. And so I reached out to her and I was just like, yo, you got some time to talk? And she was like, yes. And so we were able to connect and think through that and think through death and gender and all that stuff. Like, And really, what does an intersectionality theology look like of death? I think that's something that we really need to unpack a little bit more. There's a whole book in the making there. <laughs> so don't steal my idea. All right. You, you heard it here first. We're stealing my idea now. <laughs> but uh, Megan uh, is just uh, an amazing person and amazing woman. Uh, and that she's and, and she really grounds these these thoughts, not just in uh, a theory, but also scripture as well. Um so I think that's important. I think that's important because I think that gets lost sometimes in progressive liberal theology that, you know, uh, we don't ground ourselves in biblical truth. Yo, there's a lot of theology there. But I think it's important also to kind of name some of that and how we view scripture differently than just a conservative, fundamental, evangelical perspective. And so this is what Megan is doing. So. Uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring on Megan and the conversation that we had. Um, some great news. If you do not follow me on Twitter, I did make full professor. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, that was a long time in coming. Um, 18 years, I believe. Uh, but, you know, hey, who's counting? <laughs> you know, and uh, I am just a little overwhelmed right now with uh, with that. So a lot of feels going on, as the millennial youth would say uh, uh, right now going on, you know, with celebrating uh, my father-in-law's life and at the same time um, mourning the death of folks and at the same time excited and still knowing that there's a lot of work that has to be done uh, in this era. Um, and so I'm thankful for people like Megan uh, and the work that she's doing. So without any further ado, like I said before, check out this conversation and holla back at your boy. This is good. Everything sounds great. Um, well, Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This uh, this is a real good treat. Um, I love following you on Twitter. But before we get into the the heavy stuff, what uh, as I always ask everyone, what what is what what is what's been going on since birth to now? Oh gosh, birth to now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I don't make any sense on paper, and that's usually what I tell people. <laughs> oh, I was born and spent the first 22 years of my life in rural West Virginia. Okay. Uh, kind of there in the coal fields. Uh, so if, if you or your listeners have seen October sky, which is, you know, like mid nineties movie about, you know, but like the rocket boys who wanted to send the, they worked in the mines, but they wanted to work for NASA. Anyway, that's like the only movie or any sort of pop culture reference I can give people to explain where I'm from. And that's not even like a really good one. But I, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere, uh, rural community, 
and uh, was Southern Baptist. I was homeschooled. Okay, Southern uh, Baptist. Kindergarten All right. through twelfth grade. Yeah, yeah. So, and now I, you know, I live in Milwaukee right now. I'm pursuing an MDiv. I tend to do theology from a liberationist standpoint. Uh, I am working to be anti-racist. I won't go so far to say that I figured that out. Um, but anyway, so it, it doesn't make any sense um, to have grown up the way I grew up and to be where I am right now. So uh, if I ever am wondering if there's a God, it's it's definitely like a but God kind of moment, right? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I did all the, all the shit that, that white evangelical kids do. And I went on <laughs> mission trips and did all kinds of, uh, you know, look back and I'm like, that was, that was like really exploitive. Um, and not at all cool. Uh, but it got me to ask questions that I wouldn't have otherwise asked. And ultimately, uh, you know, through some of those questions, through some of those experiences, you know, got me to move from my small town in West Virginia to Milwaukee uh, in 2010 um, and into a disinvested neighborhood um, in intentional community. Because it was like 2010. So like Shane Claiborne, Irresistible Revolution. Yeah. Was super pop. Come on. There. And so it's like, this is what you do. <laughs> That's right. So I was like, okay, this is what I'll do. And Thankfully, there were enough uh, level-headed people around me who just were like, all right, now now that you're here, you can sit your ass down. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, man. Um, and just learn some stuff because you're 22 and you don't know everything, um, which was such a gift, uh, really, because it kept me from, uh, from just kind of steamrolling my way through life. So. Mm. Uh, have been living in that same neighborhood uh, with, you know, rotating cast of characters in this intentional community uh, ever since 2010. Uh, my daughter was born in this community and has spent her whole seven years of life um, in kind of this mm. interesting living dynamic. Uh, so, yeah, and, and through that, I just, I think, you know, the last, almost nine years of my life have really been marked by how do I learn to listen well and mm. how do I learn to um, like really like how do I learn to follow Christ because so much of my quote Christian upbringing was more concerned with upholding uh, traditional American values so, you know, like colonization and exploitation, you know, are real, you know, traditional values here. And, uh, yeah. so, you know, those aren't, those aren't Christ. Those aren't what Jesus is about. And so, so much of my discipleship was formed around those things. And so the last nine years has really been a process of like, how do I learn to like actually follow Jesus and get rid of all that bullshit? And, mm. uh, I love um, John Sabrino, who's a liberation theologian, um, and the title of his book, like, you don't even have to read the book. You just have to read the title. <laughs> but the title of his book is No Salvation Outside the Poor. Ooh, um, come on. Yeah. 
which has really become like, I mean, I, I have actually read the book. I didn't just read the title, but the, the title alone is just like, <laughs> damn, like that's it. Yes. Um, and yes. not just, n- not just like me going in and like being a, being the, the quote, I, I need you to see my air quotes. Um, <laughs> being the quote savior to the poor, but like solidarity with, and you know, things that I could elect out of, um, on the basis of the privilege that society has afforded me choosing instead to say like, no, I am not opting out. Um, because you know, cause this is where Jesus is. This is where Christ is at work. Um, and not in and through me, but like, I need to be here. Um, because this is where Jesus is. Mm, that's deep. That's deep like a tear of weed. I like that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, okay. So, I mean, I got, I got a lot of questions. I got, I got okay. a lot because you, um, I love that, you know, you're, well, I love your presence on Twitter and, uh, what you have to, to tweet on. I mean, I'm curious what has been the road that has that has that has helped kind of get you there? I mean, you said you grew up Southern Baptist. You you um, you know traveled across the country. I mean, what was kind of the aha moment for you that you were like, "Whoa, there's something different about this shit right here." And you know, like, was there an aha moment, mm-hmm. or was it just always in the blood? I mean, I I, I mean, I, I'm genuinely asking. I'm I'm genuinely. Asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I- I have spent a lot of time, Dan, especially since 2016 when we realized, mm. well, when, when I realized, mm. everybody, all, all the people of color already knew, um, but when I realized how horribly racist all of my white Christian friends were, um, <laughs> I have spent so much time racking my brain trying to figure out when the aha moment was. Because, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, maybe if I can realize what my aha was, I can help like recreate that for other people. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's just one, which is hella yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Um, I think it was a, a series. I think it was a bunch of ahas. Okay. I think it was working with, you know, kids in, you know, these, you know, short term mission things Come in on. high school and hearing, from these kids, like, you know, different experiences that they were having, uh, in you know, disinvested neighborhoods and marginalized communities and, um, hearing little kids talk about their dads being locked up and stuff like that. It's not been my experience. I think that that made me start asking questions that then led me to things in college, that then led me to things, um, afterwards. I think if I really think about where like the dramatic shift started to happen though, you know, outside of just asking different questions, like the really big questions. Um, when I first moved to Milwaukee within that first year or so of being here, the pastor of the church where I was serving, uh, had us read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm, Yeah. Uh, And that just blew my world open. Okay. Uh, Cause you know, I, I, I was raised, in all of the, like, if there are check boxes for white evangelicals, like, I was raised in the ones where you check all the boxes, right? So, like, <laughs> religious right, moral majority. Um, and so to hear, like, policies that were drafted by, like, Reagan 
Mm. be talked about disparagingly, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) What I thought it was. Um, So that was one for sure. Uh, When my daughter was born was another big one. Um, There was kind of this cultural moment almost um, where Nick Kristoff and Cheryl Wudun were doing their Half the Sky documentary on PBS. Okay. And uh, Rachel Held Evans, who just passed away, um, unfortunately, um, she was writing A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Mm. And and then all of a sudden, I you know had this, well, not all of a sudden, but I also gave birth to a daughter in the midst of all of those things. And, you know, growing up, Southern Baptist, growing up in the conservative Christian homeschool movements, things like that, like all my life, I had heard like, your highest purpose and your highest calling is to be a wife and a mother. Mm. Like that's where you'll be most fulfilled and things like that. And I'm like, I knew that was bullshit. Because, <laughs> Come on. Um, because I just didn't ever have that kind of desire. And, and, you know, which is not to minimize mothers or like anything like of that. Of course not. Not at all. But like, I never had those desires growing up. I never had those like, you know, yeah, I just want to be a mom. Like, you know, some women, like they want to smell babies' heads and stuff and they just want to like snuggle them. And like, that's never been me. (laughs) Um, You'd get along with my wife. She's saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And everyone always insisted. They're like, no, no, no. When you have a child of your own, like a switch will flip. Right, right. You know, it'll kick in. (laughs) And ding, kick in. Yep. And, and so all of a sudden I was, I was kind of faced with this, like, I have to deal with this because what I had kind of been banking on my whole life isn't happening. Um, and so, and not only that, but I I have a daughter. And Mm -hmm. so it was Mm -hmm. like, well, I know I'm not going to teach her what I grew up with. Uh, you know, now that I'm 23, 24, and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Like, I can't teach her that, but I have no idea what I'm going to tell her instead. Wow. Um, and so that was that kind of a second aha. And then the, the third one um, was when Michael Brown was, was lynched. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, at that point, I had been living in a predominantly African-American community for several years and had been doing a lot of reading and I think not so much his death, but watching the reactions of my fellow white Christians was just so indicative of the depth of depravity of white Christian theology. Mm. Whoa. Um, Whoa. So those, yeah. So those are kind of my big three. I love it. Uh, ahas. But there have been so many little tiny ahas along the way. No, absolutely. I love that the way you characterize it and the way you, you place that. That's that's deep. Um, 
one of these days, I mean, I this I have so many ideas for for the show. I want to do something on just uh, looking at a progressive theology, you know, around motherhood. Because seriously, my wife's the same way. Everybody told her the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, when the yeah. kid comes, and you know, people still ask us like, y'all are gonna have one? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we we good, we good, we good, we good. We don't yeah, need, yeah. we don't need six of them running around here. We we good. When you get it right the first time, why do you need to keep going? Oh that's, my god, that's what I kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mercy. Well, so, all right. So let's wade into some some deeper waters here. Um, I know you just signed a book, so I want to get some little yeah. or sign a book contract with Harold Press. Excellent publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. What um, I know when I first approached you about, you know, doing the podcast, I was like, um, death <laughs> and intersectionality. And you said, oh, I got yeah. all kind of good stuff that you because I know you're reading. I, I see your <laughs> posts. I see what you're thinking on and reading on and. I'm like, shoot, this woman's got the shit going on right now, man. So <laughs> I, I'm i curious, like how, and especially with Rachel just passing, which I'm not going to lie, that shook shook me. I mean, I I look back now and I, you know, I just literally, I seriously always just thought we'd meet at some conference, we'd connect and it'd be great. She started following me back in the day and, uh, you know, we, yeah. we knew each other through Twitter, but we never necessarily, and I just, I feel bad that I never made a more aggressive attempt to get to know her more. Because yeah. I always just thought, I mean, just, I don't know why, but I always just thought we just, we'd have more time. I, I guess I don't think yeah. of folks. I don't know. It's just a trip. I don't know. But anyway, so what are some of your thoughts just on that and death and how we theologize death and theodicies around that? Uh, yeah, no, I I think it shook us all, for one. Um, I mean, we all, it's interesting, right? Like we, uh, you know, Christians anyway, Christians have this whole religion that's based around like this death event. Right? Like yeah. the, the cross is super central, especially in evangelical circles. And yet we like live as if death isn't a reality, which I think is one of the ways that whiteness functions within Christianity. Whoa. Because so much of that is predicated either on outsourcing death or avoiding it, um, and outsourcing or avoiding struggle in Ooh. general. Um, oh. So uh, I think that. Yeah, so we live as if death isn't a reality, and so then when it does interrupt, which is just, like, it's just what death does. Like, death right, just, right. It just does. Like, it, it exists, it is, it is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing in life we can all say for certain, like, we will all die. And so I think it, it becomes this really shaking thing because we don't look upon death as though it is a reality. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we spend so much time chasing everything but, and engaging with everything but, you know, everything from, you know, we have outsourced any sort of physically taxing labor, um, whether it's harvesting our food or things like that. We have outsourced, in, you know, or the, you know, the, the idea of having a failed harvest. I think any sort of death, we have just completely tried to remove ourselves from and I insulate ourselves from. Mm. Um, so that then when we have the death of a loved one or a death of a, of a beloved, I, you know, faith icon, um, then it's like, Whoa, what the hell is happening? Um, and we don't have a good theology around grief. 
mm. for the most part. Yes. Uh, so then we have no tools to to work through that because grief isn't grief isn't an enemy. Death is an enemy. Mm. Um, I think that we can say that biblically that there that death is the enemy, um, and you know that ultimately eschatologically grief is overcome as well. Mm-hmm. But in the here and now, grief is not an enemy, but the church tends to treat it like it is um, because we're trying to outsource death. Um, and so we don't engage with grief well. And so then you just have people walking around who are completely shook up by death, who have the trauma of death unaddressed mm. in their lives because they haven't grieved. Um, and then that just gets compounded, um, you know, as I have grieved Rachel's passing this week. And, and I didn't know her personally. Um, she was um, encouraging to me in a number of ways. You know, I mentioned her book earlier, um, but I wasn't like personally friends with her. But as I have grieved her death this week, because she was so influential in my life. Yeah. Um, her, her work was. You know, I have found myself thinking again about my grandparents passing and about, um, you know, kids that I have worked with over the years who who are no longer with us. And so anytime grief is aroused, all of that kind of gets kicked back up. And so if we haven't equipped people with the tools that they need to grieve or really so much of evangelical culture is around just the suppression of feelings in general, um, you know, don't be angry and don't be sad and don't grieve and don't, you know, if you're a woman, don't be sexually aroused. Like uh, so much suppression of <laughs> yes. feeling. Yes. But then we have absolutely no tools with how to even identify where we're at um, as far as our emotional state goes. And so it just becomes easier to keep pressing it down and pressing it down and pressing it down. But when you wall yourself off like that, there's nothing like you just, you you become so, uh, it becomes so small, like so collapsed. Um, you know, working through grief with my therapist a couple of years ago, they noted that you, you can't selectively, um, you can't selectively suppress your emotional range. Um, yeah. So like, you can't just be like, Oh, I'm just going to shut down sadness. <laughs> like you also are going to shut down your capacity for, for joy, happiness and things like that. And so I think about that and the ways in which the church has ill-equipped people for engaging with grief. And then you just end up with a whole, like you just end up with a bunch of people who are walking around numb um, and, yeah. and really diminishing their humanity. Um, and I think that the call of discipleship is toward a restored humanity, right? That there's, um, we have Jesus in the center of, of the Christian story. And like the gospel of John says, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like I am crazy enough to believe that like, that Jesus knows the human experience. Right. Right. And so in that, that, um, in that taking on of the human experience, the the call to become Christ like then is to become more fully human, which means 
we have to engage things like grief and we look death in the face um, and go unto death, right? Like that mm. is something that, you know, Christ didn't avoid that, um, mm. but went to death, even death on a cross. And so, you know, the idea then that so much of our Christian experience would be predicated on avoiding suffering or diminishing our emotional range is just asinine to me. That's deep. I, I love this. This is this is this is such a rich conversation because I know oftentimes, you know, per, particularly folks that and I see this in some of the response, some of the responses that people uh, give you on Twitter. And I give it to you. You handle them great. I'm not going to lie. I don't, when somebody's, what is the biblical evidence of? I'm like, nah, I ain't got no goddamn time. <laughs> you handle it wonderfully. And my gosh, I could, I could, I, that's an, that's a great example. But, you know, quite often folks just say, you know, this, there's no bibli- you know, there's, there's no theology. There's no bibliosity, um, as, as one of my colleagues would say, um, you know, and what you're talking about. Um, this last mm-hmm. week we tried, well, it, it, it passed. It, uh, we, uh, we had a gender studies minor passed mm. at my school, um, but not without, you know, a, a bit of a, a, a tussle, shall we say. Uh, and the big argument. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked, I tell you. Oh, I, t- I know, isn't it? Wow, you know, it's 2019. Um, and you have such <laughs> a humanitarian in the presidential office. But, um, you know, it, when, when, I th- <laughs> when I think about it, the main argument was exactly what you just got through saying, right? It was, we need to have mm-hmm. this, these, I've reviewed the courses, and there are no courses that teach a biblical foundation for gender and understanding that mm. marriage is between a man and a woman and this and this and that. We mm. need to talk and we need to have classes around biblical marriage. And I'm just like, but my first reaction, <laughs> my first snarky reaction was just like, well, which one? I mean, as a man, it benefits me right. pretty much in, in all ways. So is it the one where I get about five more other women uh, or is it the one where I can take, um, you know, a concubine? Maybe I can just go pick one right. out of the lot, you know? Um, right. So which one is it? Or is it the one if the wife can't produce something, I can just kick her out the house and just go on to the next? I mean, so mm-hmm. I mean, and I think right. You said it. It's like we don't have a theology around grief. Um, no. So this is this is really good. How do you, how have you navigated just in where you're at now and whatever you're reading and whatever you're engaging with? How have you navigated some of these hallways, if you will, uh, surrounding our notion of, quote unquote, the afterlife, um, you know, the kingdom of heaven, all this good stuff. And feel free to get into any quantum physics and reality that you that you want to uh, <laughs> in, in this. But I'd be curious just how you've navigated some of this and what some of the you know, some of the stuff that you're reading and whatnot, and feel free to, to chime in on, you know, even some of the other stuff on biblical definitions of womanhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't read any quantum physics. I leave that alone. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually, I started undergrad as a, as a pre-med major and Come dropped on. it because I didn't want to take like normal physics. So, uh, I, I just leave that mess alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, how have I navigated some of these hallways around, around grief in the afterlife? So first of all, I think that we need to become a lot more comfortable um, with mystery in the Christian faith. I okay. think that there's so much 
that we are just desperately clinging to answers or looking for solutions or looking for formulas or like, if this, then that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, like the whole of like the wisdom literature in the Hebrew Bible. So like you look at Proverbs, which is very much like this formulaic, like if this, then that, right? Right. Um, But then you have Ecclesiastes and Job that are pretty much like the opposite. And just saying, like, everything is meaningless, and, you know, we toil and we work, and what is it for, you know, which mm. I, I, I feel the author of Ecclesiastes, I, I kind of am like, yeah, that's it. Yes. Um, and then you have Job, who is a righteous man, and the text is really explicit on Job is a righteous man, and then all this shit happens to him. <laughs> and Yeah. So even if we just look at the the witness of scripture, like without even getting too much into the exegesis of it, it's like we don't just have one story. We don't just have one like predictable, like this is the way that God always moves um, or this is how God's going to respond if this happens or whatever. Um, I am far less concerned at this point in my life was trying to identify, like, why does suffering happen or why does grief happen? Um, And I am much more concerned with saying, where is God um, in the midst of that? And, you know, as Jürgen Moltmann points out, um, Thomas Fretheim talks about it, um, Kate Bowler or Bowler, I'm not actually sure which way you say her last name, which I should probably figure out, Um, but her book... (laughs) Um, everything happens for a reason and otherwise I've loved. Um, She kind of ends the book with saying, um, the truth is that God is here and we are loved and that's enough. Um, And Mm. so, you know, this idea that, that God is not somehow removed from suffering, but that God is the the one who suffers with um, that, you know, that he is the crucified one, that God is, you know, with, like, deeply acquainted with those who are suffering mm. and those who um, who are the crucified ones, right? However that is, whether you take that as, like, James Cone, you know, the cross and the lynching tree, um, or wherever we're going to identify the, the, quote, crucified ones, like, that's where God is. And we've constructed this triumphalistic um, false theology that says that God is, you know, in the reign of God, that God is, you know, above and not acquainted and things like that with suffering. And that if you are, if you're suffering, then you must somehow be outside of God's will or, right. you know, you did something to deserve that. Or right. Like Jesus is adamantly against that, you know, when he's healing people and they're asking, well, who sinned? Was it this person or their parents? He's like, wrong question. <laughs> No, that's not what's going on here. And so I think we need to to reclaim that, first of all, and say that, like, there is some mystery here that, like, we don't know why suffering happens. We don't know why shit goes off the rails. Like, we don't know why. Um, And sometimes we can't identify why. We can say that, you know, there's either medical reasons or there's systemic injustice or we can identify some of those things. Um. But even then, it's like, okay, well, how do you fix them? Like, hell if I know. Um, (laughs) But that God is 
intimately acquainted with those who are suffering in these, in these places. And that those of us who are not suffering have, um, that we need to learn, like we need to be the ones who are submitting to the suffering ones and saying, okay, teach me because, you know, if I worship a crucified savior. Mm. And so, so, you know, as one of the crucified ones, as one of the ones who has known this suffering, um, I have to acknowledge that there are going to be things about God that you know that I do not, um, because I haven't suffered in that way. Um, so that's, I don't, I don't even think I stayed solidly on one point, but that would be my first point is that there's, we need to embrace mystery yes. and, yes. um, and acknowledge that God is in the midst of suffering not removed from it. Uh, to the point of the afterlife, I think that we would do really well to heed the words of Christ. Um, who, when his disciples started to freak out about all of this, um, you know, Oh, well, when is it going to be? And you know, there was just the, we followed the lectionary in my church. And so there's just a passage in John mm. where, um, where Jesus was talking to Peter and he's like, you're going to die this way. And then Peter's all like, well, what about that other disciple? And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think so many times when the disciples started to freak out about the afterlife or whatever, that Jesus was constantly saying, like, this isn't your thing to worry about. This isn't your, like, this is not mm. your deal. Um, and the, you know, this is my translation of the Bible. Come on. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is not... Like, what are you doing? You know, I think about you know, whether it's like my own kid or I've done after school programming for years. And that moment that you have, you, you probably have this with uh, students, too, where you just are like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, <laughs> how did you even get to that? Did you read the syllabus? <laughs> why are you all, why are you all the way over there? Like, that is not what you need to be thinking about. Um, you know, so I have the, those moments with my daughter, with the kids that I work with, um, where it's just like, what are you doing? And how did you even end up over there? And I, like, when I read these texts, I, I kind of get that from Jesus, where he's just like, what the hell are you doing? Right. <laughs> Why are you asking right. that question? Um, don't you know that there's people right here? Um, I think that between, I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about it in like the, the great divorce and there's, there's a, been a lot of people write about it, but just this idea that like, you know, if, if we're not building like quote heaven in the here and now, like what, what's the point of it in the hereafter? Um, you know, if we're not, you know, seeking to, to live the way that we would hope to live eternally right now, then like, what's the point of it in the afterlife? Mm. Um, you know, if we're going to proclaim like every tribe and nation and tongue will worship before the throne of the lamb, but we're over here saying like, no, but y'all need to learn English. Like what in the world? Like this is not, it's totally counterproductive. And if you aren't preparing right now, for the kind of like reality that you're claiming that you want to exist in for all of eternity, then like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, okay. Come on. So, you know, 
I think that by and large, Christians would be served well if we focused a little bit less on the afterlife, which is not to say that I don't like believe in an afterlife. Yeah. But, but like, what are you doing right now? Um, Cause I don't need to think that there's like some sort of eternal torment to know that hell is real. You know, like I can look around um, at, at the world and like, God, like the way that it is right now, just like pick a headline, any headline, any day. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, no. And so like, if I want to like quote, like save people from hell, like there's some work I need to do. And there's some like, senators I need to call and um, some people I need to fund and things like that. Um, You know, there's some communities that I need to, you know, probably go and and listen and learn from. And, um, you know, for for me and my own life, spending so much of it, all of it really on, on the intersections of a lot of privilege, like there's a lot of like work that I need to do internally so that I can listen well and so that I can hear people Mm. Um, because there's a whole lot of noise that I was programmed to believe um, that I was raised to believe that then like drowns out all these other stories. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's so all of these ideas about the afterlife and you know, what's going to happen and, I know when you messaged me, you mentioned like the rapture and things like that. Like right. we cannot divorce our conversations around the afterlife and what does it look like um, from our current political situation Come on. Um, and things like that. Um, you know, rapture theology, things like that um, has only really emerged in the last 150 years, 200 years. Come on. Um, it was in the late, late 1800s. And Give so, it to us. <laughs> um, so, you know, right after the civil war and like re- reconstruction era, and you start to have, um, some scholars who are constructing these ideas about a rapture. Um, because you know, like my personal take on it, and, you know, no footnotes here. Like, this is just me having read the history. Yes. I'm like, you know, like, is it really so bad? Like, are white people really so depraved that we would rather think the world is ending than, than black people are equal to us? Really? Oh. Um, whoa. <laughs> so. <laughs> this has been Church History with Megan Westra. That's um, right. Come on. Take so, us to church. So that's. Like that's when that theology emerges, and it's really it was really a fringe movement. People were like these these guys are kind of half baked, and they haven't really done their work um, until World War One, and then all of a sudden it becomes very believable that the world could end because World War One was horrible, um, and so you have this fringe movement that's coming out of um, Reconstruction era theology, where you have this really strong push in the slave apologist camps um, to this, quote, plain reading of the text, this, like, quote, literal reading of scripture, um, you know, hello, where do we hear that today? Um, mm. and, um, and so you have this rapture theology, this premillennial dispensationalism emerging there, um, but it kind of stays on the fringes until World War One. And then you have like apocalypse essentially happening in 
in Europe. You have just the world being torn apart in Europe anyway. Um, and so it starts to become this like, oh shit, maybe those guys were right because this certainly doesn't look good. Um, <laughs> right. So, you know, you have it then start to move toward the mainstream and, uh, you have people like Billy Graham who pick up that theology, um, who it doesn't become one of his central teachings, but he's carrying that theology in the way that he's talking about the gospel. And so it gets spread. Um, you have movements in like the seventies, um, with a thief in the night and some of those movies, you know, when I grew when I was growing up, it was the left behind movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who, who are, you know, kind of continuing to push this into the more mainstream evangelical consciousness, but it's just not sound theology. And it's not coming out of a place of, um, that's rooted in how do we, you know, bring the kingdom here on earth, um, as like the, the Lord's prayer would say, or like, you know, or through any sort of example of Christ. Um, but it's instead saying like, we can't imagine a world in which, um, in which God's rule and reign really exists without mass destruction. Um, and I think it's a, a failure of, of imagination in a lot of ways. Um, or an imagination so captivated by the illusion of whiteness that we can't really conceive of something else. Wow. That, wow. All right. I'm, I am speechless on that one. That one, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta marinate on that one a little bit. <laughs> that is, well, I mean, cause you said it. I mean, that's, that, that's just it. I mean, I, having grown up, you know, a Seventh Day Adventist, it was mm -hmm. all about that type of theology. Third Angel's message, the res, the third resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You know, God is coming back. This world doesn't matter. So, right. and that has implications, correct? I mean, it's like so. Totally. Why do we have to carry about or care about recycling? I remember my mentor used to say that all the time. Right. Like, I don't. I don't. I could care less about that. This earth is going to perish anyway. <laughs> so why should I worry about that? And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I grew up with similar stuff. Yeah, and so, man, that whoa, man, alive. Like, I mean, go ahead. Like that's completely antithetical to scripture. Like you want to talk about like being biblical or like a plain reading of the text. Like <laughs> be stewards of the earth. Right. Like you can stay like in the answers in Genesis camp and get that. Like that's <laughs> low hanging fruit. <laughs> Um, so this idea that like, it doesn't matter what happens to the world, like that's so predicated on our exploitative system of economics that demands that we have a profit above anything else. And we just, you know, rend things from the soil, um, again, outsourcing the labor because we don't want to face death either. You know, it just is like, it's not even rooted in scripture. <laughs> so, Man. Um, sorry, no, my, my train of thought was just like, and done. That's, that's all I got right there. No, 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 that's good. That's good. I'm with that. I'm with that. Because, oh, my gosh. I mean, I uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's so much because I think the average churchgoer, which tends to be just, you know, your average person that goes to work. And I don't, I mean, average, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean to put anybody into a category of just, oh, you're just plain old person. Yeah. But I think 
I know I, I I recognize my own privilege that I I I am in circles of higher education, right? So it's like a, right. a lot of my colleagues we talk about this stuff all the time, but right. that's not the the normal <laughs> church going conversations, right? It's the basics right. one two, and so when you think about this, we've lost a framework of a historical perspective. Um, right. Sub point to that is, but then. Who told you your history and how did they tell mm-hmm. it? Where were, what were their sources? Um, and then we also just look at we forget just the human, you know, the human error of of looking and particularly I mean, so much of theology is driven from uh, the 1800s when. Right. Psh, I mean, there was all kinds of relig- religiosity going on. And so it's like we're still trying to live in that almost victorian era of uh of, of of the church so i don't know i just those, those are some things that pop up as i'm as i'm listening to you to you talk because i'm just like man this is this is deep because this is something that we process and have essentially taken in and then this turns into right you talked about the mystery of god my gosh we there, there's no there's no space for that because i like i want answers i want to yeah. know like there's no mystery to god god is 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 god and God just works right. out. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is you've give you, you given a lot. You've given a lot. This is this is just how my brain works. This is just this is just what I think about. Um so I'm super fun at parties, as you can imagine. <laughs> That's um, right. But yeah, well, and so much of American identity is, is formed on being forgetful. Um, like as much as we want to be like, quote, like never forget, um, you know, that really only applies to nine 11. Um, you know, we forget mm. all these atrocities, um, that we have committed and, and purposefully. Um, so, you know, that we can tell our entire history as completely revisionist and erase the the pain and the the loss, the genocide of um, the indigenous people who rightfully inhabit this land, um, that we can look back at our history and we can say, well, slavery wasn't really that bad. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, for, yeah. for, for the church to say like, well, and it's, it's good because then we Christianized these people that we trafficked. Um, like what the hell um, that we can tell the story of world war II without also telling the story of Japanese internment. Um, like all of these things that we can talk about um, immigration without having any sort of knowledge of the quotas and the legislation that has blocked um, people from having legal pathways. Um, we are required to be forgetful um, in order for things to be, carried forth um you know even even as a person who like racially like is is white you know i my ancestors had to forget that they were irish and english and mm. swiss and german um so that we could take up this mantle of whiteness mm. um and so there's just so much that like we are programmed to forget um, so then we look for, okay, well, what's the right answer, right? What's the thing that I need to plug into this equation to fix it, to get back to good. Um, 
And, you know, if you are programmed to forget and you're not invited to engage with mystery or critical thinking or wrestle with discernment, um, then something like grief or like death breaks the whole system down. Um, and so then you have a choice where you either put a bandaid on it, um, you know, some sort of everything happens for the reason, or like you were saying, like, well, God will work it out. Like you either cover it with a platitude that allows you to continue on as normal in this kind of forgetful programmed way of being, um, or it's a disruptive moment that invites you to, to consider something new. Mm. Um, but before you can do that, you go through the pain, right? That's, mm. that's the cycle, right? There's death and resurrection, but we spend so much time trying to go from life to resurrection. That's the whole theology of the rapture, right? That we're going to go from life to like resurrected life. Come on. Um, but that's not the story. The story is death and then resurrection. You don't get to go to the glory without going through the pain. Um, you know, we, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't fear evil. But it's not like you just get to walk on mountaintops not afraid of evil. Like, it's, it's the both. <laughs> yes. Woo! Yes. That is, that is a good word. I... I really like that. That is, that's deep. That's deep. I think that the wrestling, I mean, that's the word that kind of is coming to me right now. It's like the wrestling and and the disruption. I think all of us have Mm -hmm. that, but it's very easy. I think the temptation, we we, we want to use that language. I think the temptation, well, I mean, let's say for example, okay, death. I mean, death visits us. And so it's all, and that's, and that's kind of the equalizer, right? It's like rich, poor, elegant, celebrity don't matter. I mean, John Singleton, right? right? It's like, good night. The guy's a few years older than, than, than I am. And I'm like, Whoa, that is, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And you can either go back and listen to the last 20, 30 minutes of what you were saying and wrestle with that and engage with that. Or, well, he's in a better place and I know God has a plan and I can't understand it right now. And then, you know, things are going to work out and kind of do a Bobby McFerrin type of thing. And, you know, don't Mm -hmm. worry, be happy because that I think (laughs) is what sells books. It's what keeps church pews warm. um, If I'm honest Uh, and it, the, the wrestling, we haven't really learned to, 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 to wrestle like Jacob did. <laughs> we haven't right, really learned right. to question and disrupt like I believe Jesus did on a constant mm-hmm. basis. Um yeah. and so it's easy just to fall back on those kind of just those predicated um taxonomies of of ease. And so I, what ca- I mean what causes that? What what do you why do you why do you think that? I mean just as as your perspective cuz you I know you've been studying this and I, you know, I've, I've, I've read enough of your stuff to know. I mean, so what, what do you think causes us besides just laziness, <laughs> it's mm, just pure yeah. laziness, but what yeah. do you think? I mean, I think it's different for every person, which is what makes it so difficult that mm. there's not yeah. one yeah. answer. Um, so I really, I really like the Enneagram and I know that that's mm. like, that makes me such a like stereotypical like millennial oh i'm with you i'm four wing three come on (laughs) yeah so i think i think that the the enneagram is really helpful for identifying some of those different reasons why um so there's 
three kind of triads in, in the Enneagram, the fear, the anger, and the, um, the heart triad, um, the brain, heart, and and body. And I think kind of depending on where people are centered and things like that, I know for me, and and I'm a, I'm a one, I'm in the, that anger triad. Um, that's my wife too. She's but, a one too. See, I, I knew you guys would get along. This, that's oh, awesome. Oh, we totally hang out. We would, we would be friends. Um, anyway, so for me, it's this, like, I have a hard time engaging with the wrestling and with the, you know, the questions and stuff like that. Cause I'm so damn afraid to get it wrong. Um, and you know, as a one, right. The, the perfectionist type, it's like, I just want to get it right. Like, I just want it to be like, you know, like I just want to have all the right answers and all the right stuff. And so, um, and to to not be able to have that, to realize that like, actually there's no silver bullets. There's no like, you know, one right answer. There's no like down pat, like you've arrived kind of moment is it's really, it, it makes me angry. Right. Like it's like a, Ah, are you serious? Um, and so the, the wanting to avoid that and to stay in my own little constructed ideology of like, oh, one day I'll arrive, um, you know, kind of keeps me there. But I love what, um, what Henry Nowen wrote in the inner voice of love. Um, he talks about this kind of moment where you, where things fall apart, right? Um, and he says, you have to work around your abyss and that that's where you find the, the inner voice of love. Mm. Um, we spend so much time running away from the abyss or saying like, there's not an abyss. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Everything is fine. Um, and it is that we have a hard time then embracing or even hearing where, where God is in the midst of that. You can't wrestle with God if you're pretending like like you know nothing is there right you know if that is you know if we ever work with the the jacob story like if if god is there it's like all right like let's wrestle through this let's get through this but then i'm sitting there and i've got my hands raised and i got my hill song and my earbuds and i'm like oh lord you're up in the sky <laughs> and like i praise you and like god's just sitting there hello like you want to work through this or not I think we are so distracted and so determined to worship some like uninvolved, unconcerned sky God that we are missing the invitation of the Holy Spirit to engage in the here and now and to wrestle through uh, what is um, to, to approach Christ like Thomas did and say like hey yeah touch my wounds because you know what resurrection you still have scars mm. um and and we don't we don't want that gospel um we want bold streets and everything to be shiny and new we want um we want resurrection reality without you know the past factoring in at all right like we don't want to be Peter sitting on the beach having to answer three times yes lord I love you because I denied you three times I just want the past to like magically go away. Um, you know, that's so much of the reconciliation movement. It's just like, well, let's just get over it and be friends. Mm. And it's like, no, like all of resurrection reality 
does say that all things can be made new. But resurrection reality also demands that we take what has been into account in order to make it new. Um, Jesus isn't raised to life in some sort of like ambiguous, like goofy way, but like he's raised in his particularities with the stars. Um, and so we have to be willing to, like now instead of work around the abyss, we have to be willing to engage with like what's keeping us from uh, even wanting to go there, right? It's like that, that desire that I have to want to want to do this. Um, and that's different for every person to, to refuse to even like start that path of wanting to want to, um, we completely miss what God is trying to do. Man, that, um, that is a really good word. I am that. Yes, this is, you've, you've taken us to church, today here <laughs> this is great you were i mean part of it was i i i, I didn't i didn't want to stop you on this amazing role the 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 part of the the signal was was cutting in and out just for a little bit oh. you saying around henry now i just want to make sure people heard that that quote that you said of of henry now and then uh then we can then we can wrap it up but i want to make sure people don't miss yeah. that because that was deep and that connected a lot of what you were just talking about yeah, yeah. So the quote is from his book, The Inner Voice of Love, and it's, um, you have to work around your abyss. Mm. Um, and and that, that whole book, it's, and it's like most of Nowen's books, it's only like 100 pages long, but it takes you like 47 years to read because it's just like, oh, damn. Yes. I felt that. Um, so I had to read it this past year for a class, and it's, I didn't finish it. I went to the professor like three weeks into the quarter and was like, I just need you to know I'm not going to make it all the way through this book. Um, but I will turn in all of my journals about the first day I'm able to read because it's just so much. Ah, I'm doing so much work. Um, the inner work, like spiritual formation work. But yeah, so uh, you have to work around your abyss. That's deep. That mm -hmm. is deep. Working that abyss. That is, whew. All right, I'm gonna put a, a pin in that one right there because that one, that right? one, that, ooh, yeah, brother Henry, man, that's, uh, ooh, goodness. Um, mm -hmm. so I could I could keep talking all day, but I realize lives are 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 uh, are busy and all that great stuff. But what what is this book? Just give us a little snippet, and please consider coming back on the podcast when this releases, so we can promote and you know get you some yeah. more sales. What uh, what's what's this on? Yeah, so um, I would be happy to come back on. Um, I would love to send you an advanced copy when I when I get those. Great. Um, yeah, but uh, so the the book is on the intersection of salvation and and consumption. Oh, um, or, oh. <laughs> um, Jeez. So. The uh, yeah, I, I I am team no chill, Dan. I have no chill at all. Oh. Um, so I figured, you know, if I'm gonna write a book, I should start with the one that has the potential to make literally everybody mad. There you um, go. There you go. So just so everybody knows where I'm at, out of the gate. <laughs> um, so the first three chapters. Uh, kind of deal with some of the stuff I was talking about earlier, um, the history of um, white evangelicalism, which kind of feels like a redundant statement, but 
um, the history of white evangelicalism in the U.S. and kind of looking at um, how we have been formed. It's, it's a spiritual formation book and saying, like, what does it look like to be, to be people who are, quote, like, saved? What does it mean to be people who are following Christ? Um, but in order to do that, um, I wanted to start with the history and say, like, okay, if we're saying we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, like, what have we been doing? Um, what has been our path of spiritual formation? And so I start kind of with some of this history to say, like, um, I think there's so much value in saying, like, where have we been? You know, like, who are the people who have formed us? What is the story we've been telling ourselves and each other? Um, uh, you know, thinking about um, something that I have learned from, uh, like, the womanist kind of school of thought is, like, who are your ancestors, right? Like who are the people who mm. like gave you your story? Mm. Um, and so bringing that in on the front end of the book, um, but then the back half of the book kind of saying like, okay, then uh, if we have been formed in this like consumeristic culture, but even the language we use, right? Like get saved. Did you get saved? Like, <laughs> like it's a product. Um, and so um, if we're going to say then, okay, if, if salvation isn't something we can acquire, like it's not something I like put on my bookshelf, um, then what does it actually mean? Um, and so the last chapters of the books are going to kind of dive into that with regard to race, gender, finances, politics, ecology. There's one more, but you know, just the real light stuff. Um, <laughs> real <laughs> the light stuff, right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what the book is about. Um, my manuscript is due in August. It'll be out um, in 2020, um, either summer or fall of 2020. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Wow. That, uh, that sounds amazing. You, uh, just the word consumerism, you had me. I mean, I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right. Um, that's, that's amazing. This is good. Well, like I said, I would be more than honored to have you back on the show, um, to yeah. promote that. I'm excited. I may have to, so I have a new class that I'm creating called, uh, family, friends, um, and race in the mediated age. And so I think this would actually, Ooh fit um perfectly in there so i may just have to uh use that in uh in the class yeah. it's gonna be a required class too so you know you you hopefully get some sales from at least a class yeah. every semester oh uh, i would be so honored that would be amazing yeah no this is good um megan thanks so much this is this has been a great uh dense <laughs> conversation um now where can folks are listening right now where can folks find you where where can they come and you know get you out and get you that honorarium and uh get you get the, get you that grant and uh you know all that good stuff yeah yeah so um i am as you've mentioned i am on twitter um at mwestra w-e-s-t-r-a m-k-e um so that's my twitter handle and my instagram handle um, yes, my last name is Westra. No, I'm not Dutch. I'm married into it. So please don't ask me about <laughs> Dutch things. Okay. Um, people do sometimes, especially if I, like I was at Calvin for something and, oh, well, yeah. and people are like, Oh, yeah. Westra. And I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I am on Facebook. 
Um, it's Megan.Clarkson.Westra. Um, and then my website is MeganWestra.com. Um, I blog occasionally. It's a little spotty right now because I'm writing this book. And so I'm trying to, uh, to stay disciplined on that. Um, but that's kind of where people can find me. And if I'm preaching or teaching, um, I tend to post links to, to that stuff, um, on my Twitter, on my Facebook. Um, and there's information on my website too, about if people want to, to have me out to come speak or teach or whatever. Um, I love to do that. Um, so there's information on there about that as well. That's great. And I love the pictures on your website, the way you have them set up that they're, they're awesome. So, uh, uh thank you. yeah, no, I love it. Those, those are great. It's very, very welcoming. And so, yeah, for those of you listening, check it out, go and get Megan. We need more women out there engaging in these conversations at this critical turn in our on our history i think that's really where we're at here in in the u.s so thank you so much for taking the time today yeah absolutely it has been so much fun i really enjoyed it thank you absolutely and thank you for the work that you're doing and will do um we'll get you back on that sounds great thank you 